0: You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: It is Holy Week, and we are going to chat about some of the special services of Holy Week in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: Joining us this morning, the Reverend Sean Denzer. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and our chaplain for us here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Chaplain Denzer, welcome to the Coffee Hour. It is great to be back with you guys. Always like talking about worship and some of the history of our worship as Lutherans, as as the church. And we are now in Holy Week, and there are many special services that happen during Holy Week. What are some of the special services, and in, in, I know there's a particular service or type of service that you'd like to talk about today. What are some of the special services that you'd like to zero in on during this Holy Week?
2: Well, Palm Sunday is dramatic, a start to the week, and there are Holy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday services that are fairly normal if your church has them. The big difference is we get to hear big chunks of the passions from all four Gospels in the week. Matthew on Sunday, John on Good Friday, we'll get there in a second. Mm-hmm. It really starts to ramp up, though. That's when we have Monday, Thursday, Holy Thursday, which is two commemoration—well, it's the commemoration of the upper room and everything that happens there, which is two things, the Gospel of John, where— i sure. Christ washes the disciples' feet and gives us a great example of love that we're to continue, but then the thing that is actually instituted by him, the the sacrament of the altar. And after that is when his passion begins in earnest. In fact, Matthew's passion kind of starts with that. And so, our focus on those three days, as they're called, kind of from that night, which is already Friday in a Hebrew way of thinking, all the way into Easter, the the, the evening before Easter, gives you three days. We have the stripping of the altar as christ was stripped as he was taken away by the soldiers good friday we have a couple services actually and saturday is is in the church's mind kind of left without its own service actually because everything is shifted out earlier anticipated on friday or kind of anticipating already easter that is to come with the vigil good friday looks very different i think in almost every church and that's because we all have our own traditions that have sprung up around this most holy moment you know this the death of christ is we preach christ crucified we'll be talking about a lot that a lot this year and uh you know, so uh, traditions tend to pop around up around the important things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are in our hymnal, in our altar book, kind of two services represented. One is the chief service, it's called. That's the service that often is at noon or, or maybe is expanded to last longer. It features the passion of our Lord, according to St. John. It features the bidding prayer, and it features these reproaches, these, these difficult words to hear from Christ drawn from the Old Testament, the rebuke of god against his people who who deny him who reject him and our cry have mercy on us lord followed by one of my favorite hymns sing my tongue the glorious battle Mm. all about the, the faithful cross this beautiful sign of triumph our crosses which might have been out of the church for a while or hidden are now revealed and we we adore christ there and then sometimes there's the lord's supper and sometimes not And then there's this other service that is very popular. It's the one I admit my churches used when I was a kid. And that's this Tenebrae thing. That's what I'd love to talk about today, but maybe not the Tenebrae thing we're aware of. So Tenebrae as we know it is an evening service. It's in darkness, and it usually features kind of a number of candles, usually seven, that kind of disappear over the course of time. It sometimes is confused with this Tre ore service, which means three hours in Latin. This was a 17th century Jesuit invention. Jesuits, you know, don't like Lutherans, so interesting that we would borrow from them. But it was a a, a meditative devotional kind of service, similar to the Stations of the Cross, except instead of focusing on kind of the big events in the Passion of Jesus, which is what the Stations of the Cross show us, the... The tre Ore looked at the seven words of Jesus from the cross that are recorded across all four Gospels. And a lot of churches can stretch that out with some good choral music for three hours, have a passion in there, maybe have the Lord's Supper too. It's a nice tradition and a good devotion, I think, for sure. The Tenebrae service we have is mostly marked by those extinguished candles. And then usually at the end, there's this big bang, this strepitus, they call it. <laughs> some kind of noise. Nobody knows what it means. Symbolizes maybe the tomb closing or the finality of it all. Sometimes a single candle is left burning in vigil, I suppose, until the resurrection. Tenebrae originally. Well, you tell me, Andy. What do you think Tenebrae is? Knowing a little bit about the word shadows or darkness. Yeah, that's, mm. that's what the Latin word, in darkness, of darkness. But it happens at night, so, you know, vespers, some kind of evening prayer service. Here is the real astonishing thing. The origin of Tenebrae is matins. What? Which we think is more so confused. <laughs>
1: you're so, going to have to explain this more. Well, All right, I mean, I get <laughs> up
2: kind of early, so maybe it is kind of dark then. <laughs> you're you're on to it, actually. You just got to get up even earlier, so earlier that it's yesterday. Uh, so... In the Lutheran Church, you know, the the daily offices of which there were seven every day have been largely simplified so that they can be brought out of the monasteries and into the life of the church together, which is actually how they originally were. And they're, they're suitable for schools especially, home devotions as well, and any time we kind of gather outside of divine service. Our matins is kind of a combination of two early morning offices. Matins proper or vigils, it was sometimes called and lauds that first office of the of the morning. So we have an option, the todayum or the benedictus, those belong to each respectively. The, the one feature that's fallen out of our matins is the idea of a nocturne, that there would be kind of three sets of readings surrounded by prayers and songs. And, and so instead of just hearing maybe one lesson or three lessons, if you're borrowing from Sunday, these would be... Three kind of series of hear the word of God, sing a hymn, have a prayer... And hear some more Word of God, etc. And they usually continued through maybe a section of the Bible. Sometimes they even included readings from the church fathers, kind of like a mini-sermon, except you wouldn't have to write the sermon or your pastor wouldn't have to prepare one. Nice if it's held in the middle of the night and he doesn't have time to even think. Uh, uh, But a very special thing happened for these three days, Friday and Saturday in Holy Week, and that is that they move them even farther forward in the night, in the in the in the morning, so that they became an evening of the day before service. So, ten. So the matins of Thursday became the last church service you went to on fr- on Wednesday night, and that's why they're matins, but held in darkness the night before. Tracking with me?
0: Yeah. The- <laughs> I mean, I, I'm game for like a, a 2 a.m. service. Sure, let's do it.
2: <laughs> well, uh, it's much better, I guess, to move it a little earlier so you can go right before bed.
1: Yeah, I'm, I I I find this just fascinating listening to this. And I know you have so much research on, on these services and when they happen. I think it's really cool to connect the church services that we have now and know where... They came from in the life of the early church.
2: And I think it's great to just see that uh, this is especially a medieval tradition. It's Mm. even fallen away or been changed slightly in the reforms of the Roman church in the 20th century. And ours has been pared down even more. But, uh, I mean, with most of these, I think it's great for us to see what we have is a simplified version maybe. Mm. Uh, But you can still see the marks in the general outline of of what the church has done for much longer than just our lifetimes or our recent hymnals lifetime Mm -hmm. or even since the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And this is no exception.
1: So what made these services different from each other? Because I know the services we have now— on Thursday, Friday, Saturday are are quite different. There's a lot of things that distinguish them. Were these these the, ten th- services similar, or were there different things that happened at each one?
2: Not really very much because because they're matins. You know, mm, it, it's yeah. not the main service of the day. It's just one of the services. The thing that was different about them is that they're moved earlier, mm-hmm. and that there was this tradition also of extinguishing candles. It gets darker and darker, and I guess you know they're very heightened in in what they have because of their place and the way that they focus on the life of Christ. The one part that is very different about these services is the readings. Mm. It's the time when the lamentations of Jeremiah were sung. And I want to focus on the music a little bit today. We won't yes. sing a whole lot of it or hear the music, but we'll hear the words. And maybe it'll, I, I hope that it'll prompt the creative juices of some of our composers to bring these responsories and these these great texts back into our use. I, I think there'd be a lot of use for them, even at our simplified tenebrae that we just have on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. But the readings are those no- for those three nocturnes were always from Lamentations. And It was typical in the Middle Ages and in the time of the Reformation, even the Lutheran Reformation, to sing the readings. They didn't have microphones, and they wanted the Word of God to be, well, to dwell richly in us, as it says in Colossians. So they would always just sing the readings. It would sound very much like you're used to hearing for the words of institution, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. In fact, that's a little fancier than they would sing it. But it got really fancy for these lamentations. (laughs) I'll, I'll try to give an impression of this if I can, but it would sound something like this one they would sing the hebrew letter that this acrostic poem would say so they'd start with aleph that's like a hebrew a and then they'd say how doth the city sit solitary that was full of people how is she become as a widow she that was great among the nations and, and so you can hear, it almost sounds like it's weeping and lamenting in that tune. And it was, this was a tune that was only reserved for these three days. And at the end of each of these, it would repeat this refrain that really is a great summary of the book of Lamentations and of all of Jeremiah's preaching. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, return unto the Lord your God. I mean, this is the call of the prophets calling us to return. But the thought behind this is that this is, in fact, Christ calling his own people to repentance, calling all of us at the at the foot of the cross to repentance, to recognize what we by our sins have done to him, something that absolutely comes into the Lutheran corrals all over the place. And it's also very interesting to consider how many of the phrases that Jeremiah uses to lament the destruction of Israel— also then get used to describe the passion of our Lord, right? Mm. They they wag their heads at me as they go by. Uh, uh, They say the Lord's rejected you, right? So fascinating to hear these readings. But the best part, and I got to say, I, I, I didn't learn this myself. I learned it from Matthias Ludakis, a guy from northern Germany, a Lutheran, who did a great little book full of all this great music from the Middle Ages, from before the Reformation, that he said is good. And he's got a lot of explanations about, here's what the Roman Catholics used to do. And he's basically got the same refrain, if I can paraphrase. They had all sorts of crazy, ridiculous, ludicrous, those are words I know in Latin, ludicrous ceremony that we have dispensed with, but the music is great, he says. Mm. I mean over and over he just says but the but the hymns, the songs are drawn from scripture. they're beautiful, they confess the faith. that's why I put them all here. Let's go. Kind of interesting. I think we've we've restored in the past hundred 150 years in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we've restored a lot of ceremonies to Holy Week that that you know our great grandparents probably never experienced. We have not restored quite as many of the songs I have to say so. A challenge for us, in my opinion.
0: Now, today you were sharing the text or chanting the text for us in English. The notes have it also in Latin. During the time of the Reformation, what would they have used?
2: This is great. So, most of the sources I found have these things in Latin. And that's because any church that would have been big enough, I suppose, in the Middle Ages, in the Reformation rather, to have a choir. Uh, would have had schoolboys who would have learned latin and they would still sing that latin even bach sang latin in his lifetime they also started to put things into german and it, it's great to see that some of these particularly one of the responsories we'll talk about also had a life in german and we can definitely just translate that into our times i mean singing in english is totally fine thank goodness for all of us but but there's a way in which they took these ancient long held things and, and and held them over frankly we have this already in our chief service for example where these these reproaches from christ are Not read to us in Hebrew, but they are from the Hebrew scriptures, right? From the Old Testament that we hear these words. In the voice of the Old Testament, we hear Christ speaking. Then we have the choir sing, Holy Lord God, Holy uh, Most Gracious Father. We don't always hear that in Greek, which they would have, and then in Latin in their time. But we get to hear the choir singing. Then we, the people in the pew, get to sing what we're familiar with singing, a hymn. Lamb of God, pure and holy, a well-known choral. So you see there's already these kind of levels. The pastor sings, the choir sings, the people sing. Very similar to how it was, just uh, translate that into languages. You know, maybe we have some Latin here. Maybe we have some Greek here. Maybe we have our language, the German language, or in our case, our language, the English language sung as well.
0: We're learning about Tenebrae Matins during Holy Week today with the Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll continue the conversation right here on The Coffee Hour in just a moment. I'm Andy
1: Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Happy Holy Week. We are learning about Tenebrae tenebrae Matins, particularly zeroing in on the responsories with Chaplain Sean he's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and our chaplain here at the International Center. All right, so we got to dig into one of the nocturnes for one of the Tenebrae Matin services. Where would you like to go from here, Chaplain? We've only had a chance to look at one responsory so far.
2: Yeah, in fact, we looked at Lamentations, so we haven't gotten to these responsories, and that's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is just let's, as many as we can, at least try and dig into them. We'll have to just hear the text, but I'd invite our our listeners, if they don't have something else that they're planning on listening to this week, when they have some free time when they want to meditate on the sufferings of Christ, maybe look for some of these Tenebrae responsories. They were certainly able to be sung in kind of a, a simple, although to our minds, probably pretty complicated <laughs> chant melody throughout the middle ages but composers started to set elaborate and beautiful settings of them very famous ones by a sharpened joseph haydn set some of them one of them in particular ecce quo was set by alice or he also went by the name handel Different handle than the famous one. But that one continued to be used right up to the time of Bach, and, and it's still sung today, in fact. François Poulenc, French composer in the uh, turn of the 20th century, I believe. He composed four of them, beautiful settings that are, are quite modern, I suppose. But my favorite, for sure, are the settings by Carlo Gesualdo, who's uh, very, uh, he's an interesting character. We'll put it that way. You can look him up. He's beloved by musicians and music history people, but his settings are fantastic. There. They're madrigals, so that means the text paints the character of the words that you're hearing. And what an amazing thing to paint these very emotional words that are surrounding these readings on these key days in the life of Christ. In fact, I think it's very helpful then to see how we're to understand in the context, if we were in these services, if we were looking at these words as a a form of meditation, to see how often they're giving us not just the story of what happened to Jesus, not just maybe what our reaction ought to be to him but even to have us consider what it was to, to be Christ experiencing Holy Week. To put ourselves, literally to have the mind of Christ, as as the scriptures say for a moment, and to see in these words drawn either from the Gospels or from the Psalter or from the Old Testament, the mind of Christ as he suffers. So let's start on Holy Thursday, and remember that means it's Wednesday night, the <laughs> night before. The first one is in Monte Olivetti, on the mountain of Olives. Jesus prayed to his father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Let your will be done, Lord. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let your will be done. The form of these responsories is that it, it, it's it's just like the responsories that we have in Matins, in Vespers, and in Compline, in our hymnal. With one exception, they kind of split that first phrase so that as you repeated it— It would make new thoughts by combining one phrase from the scriptures with another phrase of the scripture. Not in a way that changes the meaning of the scriptures or is unfaithful to it, but rather to express this. So we see, we get to hear along with Jesus praying to his father and and emphasizing what? That your will be done, right? The Lord's Prayer right there. The next one is one of my absolute favorites. Tristis et est, sorrowful is my soul, even unto death. This is Jesus speaking, right? Stay here and watch with me. Now he turns to his disciples. Now you shall see the, the, the crowd that will surround me. And, and this is to me the most poignant part. He says, you take your flight. You go away, he says to his disciples. But I will go to be sacrificed. What a contrast. So when the guards come, you know, Jesus says, you know, let these men go and take me, right? He offers himself as a sacrifice. Yeah, I suppose in a small way right there. But listen to this, right? You guys take your flight and go away and be panicked. I go to become a sacrifice for you. And in Jesualdo's setting, I mean, he draws that out, right? To just say, right, Christ is not saying... He's not rebuking them so much as he's promising the gospel to them. I really think he he understood that. There are many others on this first Wednesday night, and what's interesting is the farther and the deeper we get into it, we start to have a shift of focus to Judas which i think is, a, is something that's fallen almost entirely out of our meditation. We Judas is the the bad guy of the story for sure, and a tragic case. And we don't take much time to meditate on that. Luther when he talked about meditating on the sufferings of Jesus even said there are people who really work themselves into a, you know, fit of anger against Judas and kind of, you know, ground that axe a little too hard. So maybe he was referring to some of this. I think it's, it's surprising and striking, though, to consider the sadness, the poignancy. Now listen to this one. is the start of the second nocturne, amicus meus oscali. My friend kisses me. That's the sign by which he betrays me. This one who kisses me, that's the one. Hold him fast, right? The one who I kissed that's the one. So Judas then responds. Then we examine it from a narrator's perspective. He committed murder by giving a kiss, that wicked sign. And then a comment. This unhappy, wretched person cast aside the price of blood and went out and hanged himself in the end. It would be better if that man had never been born. So, quite a dramatic and, and maybe even a difficult thing to hear and consider, right? But interweaving Jesus' predictions with a comment on what happened with the text of the Scriptures. On the other hand, there are beautiful things drawing from the Old Testament, something like this third nocturne on that first day, Eram Quasi Agnus. Behold, I was like an innocent lamb, and I was led to the slaughter and knew it not. So, quoting from Isaiah, my enemies have conspired together against me saying, come, let us, oh, and this is a translation that only works in the Latin, by the way, let us put wood into his bread. We might translate it as poison now in our Bibles, but it was wormwood, right? Mm -hmm. And the word was simply wood in in, uh, the Latin that Jerome had translated. So, what a nice little double meaning, right? Let us poison him with The wood of the cross, right? (laughs) Let's uh, use that to cut him off from the land of the living. Well, that's absolutely true, right? Even if the translation's a little touchy, right? Then Jesus speaks again. All my enemies have thought evil things about me. They've spoken evil words against me. But what comes at the end? Again, I'm like an innocent lamb led to the slaughter, right?
1: Anything else on Thursday, or we only have a few minutes left? So. Okay,
2: well, then let's skip. Let's skip on uh, all the way to Holy Saturday, which Ooh, okay. this is the one then that would most directly come into our Tenebrae services. If you mm-hmm. wanted to pull one in from the ancient ones, I mean, these are some of my favorite. They're the ones that would be heard on Good Friday night, and they are, I think, some of the ones that focus on Christ and what He's done for us so well. The first one is He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was treated. But he opened not his mouth. He was delivered over to death in order to give life, to vivify his people. He delivered his soul unto death. He was counted among man, among the malefactors. But then it brings back, he gave up his life to death to vivify his people. Um, my uh, favorite, I think, of all of them, especially in the Waldo setting, I have to say, I think he really captures this well, is, is the second to last one. Estimatosum. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. This is from Psalm 80. I am like a man who has no strength. I'll come back to the next phrase there. It gets into a word that I suppose that we've named these services after, in tenebrosius, you've laid me in the lowest pit in the darkness. In the darkness in the deeps, on the shadow of death. And in Jezwaldo's setting, he has low voices singing this, so you can really hear the shadow of death. But when it repeats that verse that comes back in these responsories, it's this one. I am made like a man without any help. I am among the dead. Think about Christ, right, buried in the tomb, Christ descending into hell, I suppose, if we want to think there. Uh, But the last word changes it all. The last word is in Latin, liber, but in English, free. I am the one who's among the dead. As a free one, I'm 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 released. I'm free, right? And this is Christ, right? When He descends into hell on Easter Sunday, of course, right? It's not to be a cast aside. It's not to be forgotten or have His soul left in Sheol, as the psalms say. It's to proclaim His victory, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I mean, hell has no binding on us anymore either, because of Christ and His death and His resurrection. So we have that right there. Before we finish, we hear about Him in the last century being buried in the tomb, having the tomb closed. The fear that uh, his body's going to be stolen. But for me, it's that second-to-last one, the fact that Jesus, even at his darkest hour, right, is the one who is free among the dead, and we know Easter is going to come.
0: So, in addition to these late night or early morning matins, uh, super early. In, super early, <laughs> that's right. In a, how would these fit in with other services of Holy Week? Would these be the primary services of Holy Week, or would we also have had other services going on during Holy
2: Week? I think much like our services we have today, we've kept the most important one probably, which is the divine service that we have, Holy Communion. Think about Thursday. I don't know how you could celebrate the institution of Holy Communion, you know, and then not have it. It's rude to talk about having food and then not eat it. Likewise, Good Friday for us as Lutherans is a little bit of a puzzle. The tradition through the Middle Ages was to have pre-consecrated body and blood and then to kind of set it aside and bring it back out but not to say the words of institution this for us is strange because we want to hear the testament along with receiving it and so as a result there are kind of two traditions that have grown up next to each other in the Lutheran Church either not to have communion at all or to have holy communion our altar book uh, provides options for both and I think actually having communion can be a fine way to, to celebrate well to do what another hymn in our hymnal says the death of Jesus Christ our Lord we celebrate with one accord and that this forever true may be he gives this guarantee in his testament of the sacrament so But outside these, you know, and I think wonderful for us to maybe dip our toes into with the tenebrae service we have in our hymnal, to have a chance in the evening, maybe in the darkness, a little bit more of a meditative service on what Christ has done for us, on all of the other things that surround the main event of his passion, his death in particular. Um, But boy, I think we could gain a lot, especially if we're looking for something to sing for the choir, to pull from some of these old responsory texts, to Think about what where Lamentations might fit in, many settings of the Lamentations as well, along with the great hymns that are, are well-known and beloved already.
0: Well, thanks for this great look, this look at the historical services of the Church, and particularly the text of these services. Chaplain Denzer serves as Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our chaplain here at the International Center. Thanks so much for joining us on The Coffee Hour today, Chaplain.
2: My pleasure. You've been listening
0: to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.